Welcome to the Ha Ha Jim Comedy Hour, starring Jim Labriola. It's the Ha Ha Jim Comedy Hour with who? Michael Sean Wright. Our friend's name is Boca, Salvador Boca, B-O-C-A. They call him Sal. He's a sweetheart. He was a regular on this hit sitcom, Home Improvement. He's also a political activist. He's been recently touring the country. Please welcome comedian Jim Labriola. Oh, stop. Jim. He's a sweetheart. On this episode, the Prince of Pain himself, Mr. Richard Lewis. You're talking about you are you so have my things. same answering machine outgoing message and it that's, bugs that's me. my message you i didn't get that message Paris. you wrote it in paris i had that message seven years ago oh, seven shit. years you ago know what? Was, i wrote no. it seven and a half years ago who's better are you gonna trust okay an ex-alcoholics or a person who was lucid 24 hours a day his whole life do me a favor who's my, what please change what? it what because it's really bothering it's me. not i want you to change that because people call me and they call you and they go Oh, Larry David has the same thing. It's, it's mine. I mean, I, I don't have a wife. I don't have, I, you know, my parents are dead. Uh, you, you have a family. Uh, come on, change, uh, can't you, come on. Oh, he doesn't have a wife and his parents are dead. That's right. I need, I hold on to these things. Maybe. have a wife and his parents are dead. Oh. Do me a favor and change it for me. Yeah, I'll change it because you don't have a wife and you, your parents, funny. you lost your parents. They're I'm dead. laughing, you know what, because you're funny. Richard Lewis. Ain't nobody funny in this guy. One of the originals. Do you know what I love about him? He is one of, he's original. He's, he's, he's Richard Lewis. And I love guys like that. That the, the, these are guys, one of the guys that people mimic. You know what I mean? In the comedy thing. They mimic this guy. Original, like Jerry Lewis. You know what I'm saying? The neurotic Richard Lewis. Well, and, you know, we'll get into this a little bit with with Richard himself, but I mean, he's been do- he was this way just naturally. At 12 years old, at summer camp, he meets Larry David. Wow. Somebody yeah. done their homework. Whoa. 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 12 years well, old, they're cracking each other up. Let him know that. Let him know that. That'll Holy blow him away. Holy Toledo. Jeez. Little background: back. He first appeared on Johnny Carson in 1974, but he says Ooh, listen he, he listen. He says his first real break came when David Letterman put him in the chair and said, "Listen, on my show, you don't have to do stand-up." Wow. Yeah. Big difference, right? On Carson, he's running around the stage, he's sweating, he's and Letterman's like, "Come, come, sit." Wow. If I believe, I believe they were good friends for many years. And then, then they had a little scuffle uh, wow. one night. Uh, Richard does not like doing pre-interviews, and they made him do a pre-interview. He says, okay, I tell you what, I can talk about Hawaii, and he hangs up the phone. Because that's a bit that Richard always does. He just he hangs up the phone in the middle of a set. Right after he delivers a joke, no matter who he's talking to, click. He's done. He's out. Oh, does it to me all the time. I've been doing it for 20 years. So he, he does this pre-interview about Hawaii. They go on the show. Letterman says, so I understand that you went to Hawaii. And Richard goes into his thing, and he's, yeah, he's riffing. He's doing it. And Letterman leans back and goes, oh, I guess you're doing your Hawaii hunk right now. Well, the cameras stop. He goes storming backstage. He's screaming his head off in the green room. He's beating on the walls. He storms out, goes to his hotel, gets a phone call from the producer and said, listen, David wants to meet with you right now. He's like, okay, great. I tell you what, I, I, all right, I'm done. I'm never going to be on Letterman again. It's over. But Letterman comes in the room and he says, I'm so sorry. I was such a jerk. I don't know why I did that. I can't believe I did that to my good friend, Richard Lewis. And he humbled himself in front of Richard. That's the kind of respect that people in the industry have of Richard Lewis. Wow. That's a phenomenal story, man. I can't picture Letterman being that humble. Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's just, uh, you know, he's been a, a, a phenomenal friend, too. Not, not just a close friend, but a phenomenal friend who's... Personally, been there for me for a lot of ups and downs I've had in my 
personal life and my career, and, and he's always been a positive force for me, always. Always there to help me, he's helped me get through many situations. Like I said, not only professionally, but as a friend in my personal life. And uh, he, he just has. He's always there for you as a friend. And, uh, you know, words can't describe how much I love him and how much he's just a good guy. He's a giver, you know. He's given of himself. He's helped me even in the new uh, reality show I'm working on. He, he He's done a little guest appearance for me in my sizzle reel, and he's just, just a great guy, you know. Words can't describe. It's nice to know the real good guys in this business, and he's definitely on top of my list as one of the true true people, you know. Do, do you know that he has a degree in marketing and communications? He went to Ohio, and he got a college degree while he was writing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can't picture him getting a degree. I think he'd be too neurotic to get a degree. <laughs> <laughs> what, now you're judging me on a test? Now this is a judge. What, are you judging me? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. I had the third degree my father gave me. <laughs> you know, my school colors were black and blue. I got my degree on the street, my friend. Slow down. I can't write that fast. <laughs> Using that one. Good day. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to say my father had a bad temper, but I knew what kind of mood he was in by the sporting equipment. My mother wore the dinner table. <laughs> if she had a hockey mask and a chest protector on, I know he dropped a few at the track. <laughs> Ooh, classic. Jim Labriola classics. How you doing? But uh, what do you say we give the king of comedy a call? Hello? Mr. Richard Lewis, this is Michael Sean Wright, and I have Jim Labriola for you, sir. Wow, I'm <laughs> just shaking in my boots. <laughs> oh, the love. I always feel the love from you. Unbelievable. I can't believe Why should you? You're, 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 you're a self-centered uh, right-wing narcissist. <laughs> How much stuff could be left? You know listen, something? We're, I... going to, we're going to Israel over the weekend. You're playing the uh, Shalom Hut, aren't you? <laughs> I'll go with you. I'll open for you because I don't want them. I have to open and then, uh, you know, because we're both safe there. But I know then you're going over to uh, play uh, the Hamas gig. And they, I'll be, and I don't want to go there. No, my favorite is you said to me. You actually said to me, uh, we, "Oh, he's going to play miniature golf with Huckabee next week." Miniature Listen, golf. I'm a, I'm a golf. Democrat. Miniature you're a Republican. That's cool. You know. Uh, you know. You no, know, wait. I'm not a Republican. You're, you're no, way, I'm a conservative. I just like people to be helped. So I, you know, I'm very naive and simplistic. And there's corruption everywhere. No matter you know, you know, and you can always get points. And no matter what side of the team you're on about the other person, you know, I mean, they they want to like, you know, when they try to uh, look, I, I'm not back. And uh, I worked for the Clintons a long time and got to know them. And I, I, I what he did was was wrong, uh, you know, with, with that intern and whomever else, you know, at least. Uh, but. But the uh, the Republicans who couldn't wait to impeach him were as soon as they put those three billion pages over to the Congress went home and had affairs, and while their wives were in hospitals with cancer, they, they put on brassiers and lipstick and went to transvestite parties. I mean, there's so much hypocrisy. Apo- Jimmy, it's so, we're comics. It's just that there's so much hypocrisy in all politics. So it's not, I don't care. I mean, I'm glad that you're playing miniature golf with Huckabee. He cheats, by the way. You know that he brings, he uses his two balls. So he has three balls. So if he misses the hole and he'll say, hey, look, there's Rodan, then he'll drop one of his testicles in the cup. I just want you to know that because I like him. He was good. He thought that if he got a, a show that 10 people watched, he could, you know, get the nomination. But it's well, actually, I got to say, he's actually a wonderful guy, a really nice you know man. He has, he has one of the – he has – I don't know. I know I'd get along with him, and uh, and I and, and I and I have nothing against his beliefs or anything, except when some of it seems way out of whack. But 
Uh, but he seems like a hell of a nice guy, and I'm sure I'd get along with him. And just he would, I, I, he would, because I've like, mentioned like you to him, and he voice. loves your comedy. He says he thinks you're one of the funniest guys in the business, and that's what he said to me I when I brought you in. shot him name. up with morphine right before he said that. <laughs> <laughs> just like President Bush, a great, a good old guy. You know, let's sit and watch. I would have preferred to watch. You know, I don't. I'm a recovered addict for almost 18, 19 years now, but. I would have rather, uh, and, and he's an addict, uh, President Bush, so we would have had some M&Ms, some bridge mix, maybe some pretzels. And then we could have made them as soldiers and made believe we were bombing Iraq. And, uh, and then I would have brought some cheerleaders from, uh, New, from the, Nick, the Nick cheerleaders, and they would have gone, mission accomplished, mission accomplished. And then we would have saved over 100,000 uh, Iraqi deaths and over, what, how many How many of our heroes died? You would know more. You were, you've been over Well, there. I was there. I went to Iraq in 04. I actually went for eight days performing for the troops. It's great. You were fabulous. You're, you're good. But I can't go there. And I'm for no matter where the war is, whether that you know, and weapons of mass destruction was a an opium dream or whatever. Nevertheless, our soldiers are there when the commander in chief, whether it's Obama or Bush or whomever, is next. They go. They're the greatest. And uh, but I can't. I don't have the kind of material where I can be on an aircraft carrier, say, under twenty thousand guys and women, and say. You know, and they and these guys are they're risking and women are risking their lives every day. You know, and I'm and I'm saying, uh, I don't know, I have trouble getting close to a woman. You know, makes your neurosis seem a little small. <laughs> I never thought what that. did your producer? Did he mock me? Because I'll come get him. Hey, <laughs> no, I'm just down the street in Dana Point. Anytime. <laughs> oh really? You just oh wow! Look at this. He has Kelly some of your people's blood in him, too, I believe. I've never been on a radio show where your producer searches masculinity by telling his guests, I want to punch you out. It's unbelievable. <laughs> How's it going that, so far? <laughs> uh, whatever you say, by the way, I, I hear you, and it's meaningless to me. So, uh, I don't know. Have a ball. <laughs> well, you got to admit, Richard. Politics is like way, your show. I don't want to. I don't mean. Don't take this seriously. But your show is not going to make it. You want to know why? Why? The producer sucks. <laughs> he's actually. He's one of your biggest fans. He's. He no, wanted not to, anymore. He wanted to have a fight with me and Dana. No, Boy. he was kidding. He was saying he lives near. No, no. He's no. He's nothing like me or the people I grew up in New York. He's a soft. Oh, I apologize. I apologize. But your sense of comic timing was closer to Hitler's. <laughs> than to anyone else I've ever heard. I listen, I'm sorry. I, 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 don't, I don't even know. You're a great guy. And the way he introduced me, like Epic Man's ghost, it shook me up a little bit. But Michael, would you say hello to Richie Lewis, one of your no, idols? No, this guy great. knows more know about Mike. you than you know about you. I'm this lying. Guy. The only reason I'm doing this show is for Mike. I hate you. Don't you get it? <laughs> You have done nothing. You've used me. I could be in a hospital bed getting a, a, a stent put in. You'll go, give me the doctor. Give me doctor, listen, I know I know he's near death, but I, I need him to try to, I need to reach someone. You are the most self-centered comedian in history. And your fans should know this. As funny as you are, if you need something, nothing stands in your way, even a friend's death. <laughs> and if you're comfortable in your skin, because I know right now your wife's uh, in the Sahara Desert and she can't get a cab. Fine. <laughs> you won't pick her up. You know something? I'm starting to believe that. You've told me that for years. I'm starting to believe it now. Well, and I, look, you, you know, you got a lot of things on the fire right now, and quite frankly, I think they're going to burn up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have a lot of things going for you, and if, and if there's, look, I know a lot of artists. I consider you an artist. Last night, by the way, speaking of artists, I, I spoke a little bit at a, a premiere of uh, Mel Brooks, and I recommend this when it comes on PBS, uh, American Masters, which is a great series anyway. And the movie, the two-hour movie, hour and a half, whatever it is, is phenomenal. And uh, uh, he's just so funny and authentic. And I was able to call Ryan and I to stand up in the theater and, and give, us, give our two cents. Of course, call Ryan and him go back, you know, 60 years 
But I mean, um, but you're you're uh, you're, I wouldn't call you a master in comedy. I'd call you a master chef. (laughs) (laughs) You always Uh, said I'm one of the funniest guys in the business. I know you were lying to me, but you said it. Put on 300 pounds out of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I saw your reel, and I was going to call you. I'm a little concerned. You said, look. I, I look. I went down from seven hundred to six sixty. I guess that's not enough. I just I lost twenty six pounds. I just lost twenty six. You better have because if you're not, you got to be no more than like two twenty five. I'm telling you, and that's even high. Yeah, I, I'm going down. My my. I'm trying to get to my original weight, seven pounds six ounces. <laughs> Let me see how I that. did that. I'm yeah. playing a nursery school a week from Thursday. Can I open with that? <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm I'm trying to get down to 175, 180 again. That's well, that the weight be, I that always make. Be that would be great. For you and I'm doing that. it now. I'm I'm going to a thing called Medi Weight Loss for my doctor, and I'm losing. I'm getting back. Remember, I used to run five years ago, 30 miles a week, and all. I I got you know, yeah, I got a little down and started munging. You ran to the bakery. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm starting to you know. And, like really I was telling, because I, I saw you looked you looked heavy. I was gonna let you know I didn't want your fans to call. By the way, I want I'm very proud to say this is my one billionth podcast to help people. Is that that's nine one one? I'm dying from this. That's fine. <laughs> Michael's a good producer. He, he doesn't cut off sound. He just lets people scream. We're getting raped in a building across the street. He's a great producer. <laughs> All right, let me tell you something. He knows more about you than you know about you. He knew yeah. he knew when you met Larry David. How old was you? Twelve years old? Well, Twelve years old right. at summer camp. Twelve years right. old in a camp. I didn't know you I went know, to I, camp. I, I'm not going to cut this short, but I know you got to run to a gun, sh- a gun store for the sale. <laughs> you want to laugh? We do have, you know, I'm in Tennessee now. We have a big gun show this weekend. Oh, why shouldn't you? It's Second Amendment, you know. And even though back then they had ping pong paddles and muskets, why why not why not have a, an air to, a, a missile? But let me ask you a question then, if like, and you know me, I'm yeah, a big. If someone's, I don't want to go there. There's, I don't, I don't want to go through. They take the. It's just like with the look. There are a lot of There are a lot of states now, like uh, you know, yes, Minnesota yesterday passed. Uh, it's going to the Senate now. You know, if someone loves somebody, male loves a male, woman loves a woman, they have the right to love who they want. Of course, it's not typical. But, I mean, you know, times do change. And uh, and listen, Christ was a Jew. He was a hell of a guy. And he, he was a Jew, and I do tell people that. He, he was died, a Jew. I'm very big. I, I'm very, I think Christ is, can't get much nicer than that. Uh, you know, I don't think, I think he, you know, whether, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not, I wasn't there, but I know that before 2014, he wasn't around, and it was civilizations way before, so someone had to believe in someone else, so he sort of came in there and like, it's like having a comic come over, I'm going on, I'm on, <laughs> you're off the bill. <laughs> That's a little selfish. But I mean, it, it turned out he died for your sins, allegedly, and that sent, he didn't die for my sins. You know, when the rapture comes, you're going up there. I've seen movies. I know the movies. The cars stop. The music comes on. Oh, you don't even have time to go back and get your Simon and Garfunkel album. That's it. Well, you know I'm big, big pro-Israel. You know that. I just went there last year, my first time. No, you have to be pro-Israel. Look at the nutcases. Uh, who's look? They want to put Jews in the sea. I, that guy from my look. It's just look. It's just the same thing. It's in a much grander scale, just like civil rights here in the country, and that's why it's a big deal. Answer the phone. It's your, it's 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 Jimmy's uh, doctor. He wants to cut. <laughs> you know out who it is? Actually, you want to laugh? I wish I can put him in the call. What's Colin Quinn calling? Colin is one of. The nicest, funniest comics I've ever known. He is, and he feels the same way about you, buddy. No, no, same I mean way. that. He's a, he's a great guy. He was, a, and he was, a, and he's a vet too. <laughs> I don't know if he's a vet. Is he a vet? No, veterinarian. Oh, veterinarian. <laughs> okay. You think he's a comedian? No, he's a, he's he's put on this hoax for years. He's a, he treats all, and only standard poodles because they're smarter <laughs> than him, and they tell him what to do. He's an idiot. 
<laughs> well, you know he's doing that reality uh, kind hey, of sorry, sitcom with Colin me. Colin is hilarious, and he's so cool. When he was sitting in the car with you in that reel, and I hope that your fans will get a chance to see it. I don't know how. But they'll just see the show. He he just he understands you better than anybody. And, well, we've uh, been friends for over 25, almost 30 years yeah, you now. Can tell. It's like the relationship I have with Larry David on Curb. It's like you don't have to say much, and they, and you get the person, and that's really cool to watch on screen. Well, is that true? You met in, in, a, in a day camp, like when you were like 12 years old, Michael was saying. Yeah, I, met, I, 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 I leave Michael out of this every conversation now. <laughs> or I'll meet him in Dana Point and punch the crap out of him. I'm not kidding. Because there have been two fighters, two Jewish fighters since 1820. <laughs> Both of them were knocked out and they're dead. But still, it doesn't matter. We had Sandy Kopax and Hank Greenberg. Now, anyway, and there's not too many Jewish ping pong players. Uh, I don't know if you know Saul Hershowitz. He played in the Olympics just for one. Sal won a gold medal for uh, ping pong. No, he won a gold medal for uh, making lariats. Uh, <laughs> for, uh, for can, can I tell the people something that you did for me that I'll never forget in my life? One the biggest job, part of my career, I want, and I want people to know out there, is Richard Lewis took me in in conversations I would be on with Jonathan Winters, who I consider the funniest man in show business ever. Yeah. Case closed. People, don't, people uh, under 40 don't have a clue. I mean, you uh, go people under 40 should go on YouTube and find out who this man is because... Yeah, no, he was Picasso, this guy. Uh, uh, clean as a whistle, too. I mean, when he got older, he didn't perform so he could get a little blue. And, and all those famous, legendary, edgy guys like Lenny Bruce and Pryor would have literally sat at his feet and said, who can be funnier? No money. And for me, I would sit there at least an average of a half hour. And, and what I'm proud of is he gave me a nickname. He used to call me Guido when I was on the phone with you. And what a shock. I was thinking Irving Schwartz would be. <laughs> he called you Guido? How did he even get that impression? I don't know, but he did. He used to call me Guido on the phone with you. And, and I would listen to you just riff. Back and forth, and he would make you lose it, then you'd make him lose it. Well, and the he crew... was a sober brother of mine, 53 years, and we both free associate, and we're both sort of wacky, and we didn't have much support from our family getting into show business, so we related on a lot of levels, and I idolized him when I was a kid, and to be able to be friends, it's, it's one of those perks. It's sort of like you talking to me now. <laughs> I'll agree. You're right. You're an idol of mine, one of my idols, who I've gotten to know as a... Is, uh, you know, by the way, and, I, uh, and I'm, I'm actually sitting on a golden throne. <laughs> I bet you my name, one. you get a good seat. Whoa, another one. Another one. Tell you something. You're open to it. One more I hang up without, and I don't care about Mike. I really no. don't. <laughs> you know, Dana Point has... Uh, Dana Point's a really nice place if you want to jump and commit suicide. <laughs> No, it's a cliff. Everyone lives on a cliff, and they take it to lottery. Who jumps? <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan obviously was a lot more encouraging of your career than your mother, who when you yeah. told her you were going to be on Carson for the first time, what, what was her reaction? She said, who else is on the show? <laughs> oh. No, no, the Jonathan was more supportive. I mean, I didn't know him when I started out, so I knew him in my 30s. Or We weren't close. But when he got into his like, late 70s, we became best friends uh, somehow. I forget how. But uh, And we spoke almost daily for eight years, and I would visit him up, up in Santa Barbara and take him to lunch. And um, it was great. And, and Guido knows this. Uh, you know, he had this thing about money. I mean, he had money. Oh my God! And I, but, that, I, mean, I would I call him up about Richard, and he, and I would say, you know, let me tell you this. Yeah. And, and we would laugh. I'd say, Jew. I said, this Jew walks around with like at least ten grand. I've never seen I Richard walk. you typing Jews. How many Jews are poor? You moron. <laughs> Yeah, and I would yeah, say every Jew is loaded. You know, you're a schmuck. You're, that, those are the stereotypes that drive me crazy. <laughs> but he he would he would and and what I really know, upset me. No, he would use he would use that you know Jew. Oh and, my goodness! And he yeah, and unfortunately what, we can't run the railroads, the banks, or you know one thing we have we have theaters. 
That's it. Yeah, but look, that's all you the power. everything else. You have the coal mining. You have what upset me was, I, you know, I got sick last time. I had pneumonia and the flu. I was supposed to fly out there, and we were. I was finally going to meet him yeah, for dinner. I was under the weather, too. You would have been really disappointed. Really? He was sick then, yeah, too? Yeah, he was under the weather. And, look, and we were going to give you, like, 100 singles, remember, when you go well, out for I dinner? When I, get, when I get, like, the cheap airfare, that, let's say I have a club date, you know, which for if in the way I fly... Look, after 44 years, I can fly first class without feeling guilty about it, you know. And because uh, when you're sitting, you know, in, you know, in the back, and you, and most people recognize you, you know, it just, you know, I'm one, I'm one picture away from snapping, you know. <laughs> or did you ever hear the one about a frog, a Jew, and a Puerto Rican? I said, do me a favor, you got to stop now. I'm going to snap, and I'm going to the police will come on the plane. I, you know, so I have to sit in the front. And, uh, do you fly first so, class most of the time when you do a gig? For the well, you know, yes, yes. But wow. the, the point is, when I get the club people, the vent, they give you airfare, but it doesn't come close to a third of what I pay. So I. Well, how, how does a guy like me get to that where I can fly first class? How does somebody like myself get to that that point? So, you right now? Yeah, me, Jim Labriola. How could I become to that level very in my career? Wi Fi first class. Very easy answer. Yeah. Your life savings will be depleted. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's unfortunately the truth. I'm going to ask you something in front of the, the people. Do you think I got a shot? You? Yeah, me. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I have always, people have always asked me, what kind of comics do you like? I like comics who are the same on stage and off. You are, and I'm not, I don't need to stroke you because it, if anything, it, it, it hurts my career. <laughs> <laughs> but you are truly one of the funniest humorists I've ever met in my, in 44 years. And wow. really, and it reminds me of when back in 80, uh, like 86 or this. I'd be playing this little club. There, there was different Carolines in New York. It's pretty. It's on Broadway now, but it was all over the place. And the, for her first club, only sat about 124. Yeah, I remember that. I remember. Seventh Avenue, I think. And I used to go like three or four times a year and do a different hour each, each time. So I would after Carolines alone, I'd have four hours of material. And wow. So I would bring notes on the piano, and because uh, it was, I don't do that anymore. I'm a better performer, but that was the only way I can make sh I, I could do it. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't reading from it, but I, you know, it took. I remember time. that you always t took little notes and I threw them on, on the my, piano. I my specials because I wanted it, it was all new, and like and you can't remember. No. So, you know, an hour new every every week. You know, it's a joke. So, but that built up my TV uh, arsenal forever. For, you know, before I was like 35, I had about 20 hours of television material. So I was wow, for life. wow, yeah, I really did because I didn't want to do the same act every night. I couldn't take it. So now I have live about half the shows and and I look at stuff. But anyway, about getting back to you, it, the truth is, um, yeah, I, I remember um, as soon as I got anything but love with Jamie Lee Curtis. That put me on the map. You know, when 20, 30 million people are seeing you in commercials and on air every week, I followed Roseanne for four years, and we got screwed out of a fifth season, even after we were picked up. But that was too late by then, even though my Lord, we, everybody in the crew, everyone lost money for some boneheaded decision. The truth is, that, I guess, made me a star, being on a show with her for four years. And, and basically the same performer... Uh, I sold out Carnegie Hall within four months of that series started. Wow, so I remember that. Just, wow, you shot, that, yeah. That's when, so I always tell young artists, particularly comedians, I say, look, work on your craft. You never know when it's going to happen, but you better be ready when it happens. And I was way ready. I, I, was seven, I was into my career 17 years before I got that sitcom. I was doing Letterman from 82 on. I did about 50 or 60 of them, but... That helped me, you know, headline clubs and stuff like that. And I was doing Carson in the 70s, but not every, you know, six weeks. And so you really need a big, you need a break. And, um, you know, that's why I went doing these podcasts and, and all that stuff. And it helps a lot of people. And uh, you got to throw a lot of mud against the wall and, and something will stick. And if, whatever sticks for you, if it's, if it's seen by or heard by a lot of people, 
you're golden. You really, you really are truly one of the. And, and it's not just me saying. There's people that know you. Uh, after I give them money, tell them. <laughs> a lot of the people want you dead. And I say, no, no, let them get a shot first. Then I'll. Then I take the shot right between the head. But uh, you really are one of the funniest guys I've ever met. I played some of the tapes for my wife. She's screaming to turn it off. She can't bear it. It's just so annoying. Oh, I used to leave you some really no, funny. No, yeah, I would get on a riff. You're, you're so you funny. You're so, you know what I used to do? We'd finish the thought with Winners with his obsession with money when he was alive. Probably still has it. Oh, my God. He would He would just want to hear I would, about I would you. Up, I would, let's say they give you like $1,000 or something for, for airfare. And, you know, I'm paying 4000 It's a joke. But I would get, I said, give it to me in dollars, you morons. Five. <laughs> I because I, I knew I'm coming home to LA. I was gonna have like lunch with winners, and I'd bring like about two thousand dollars in singles, and I'd go over to Johnny. I'd go, Johnny, I ask you a question. He didn't see the bag, and then I'd empty the bag and I'd pour two thousand dollars over his head. Oh my and God! He, Would he go crazy he'd go for that? Crazy, like you know, like that mad, mad, mad world movie when they're looking for the money. Wow. You know, all the comics. I mean, he'd go absolutely, he'd be like, you know, like, like salivating. I said, John, wow. you don't need, you know, you have money. But there was something about, you know, a lot of these guys, when they, the older people, you know, coming in, born in the Depression era, you know, you can't, you can't lose that, that, the memory of, of, of being impoverished, you know. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, now too, I don't, you know, forget politics, you know, people. It's, you know, there's so many people, 40 million or so without health care, and so many people living in the streets. And, you know, we're walking back from Beverly Hills to our car, Joyce and my wife and I, and, and the guy's sleeping in the park in Beverly Hills, and it's just, you know, this is Beverly Hills, you know, but, you know, in the cities, in the inner cities, forget about the homicide rates and, and all of that. And, the, and I think it was 70, ch- 70 children already, if not more, from yesterday have been shot since, you know, the Connecticut tragedy. So, you know, we're in, it's, it's a difficult, we live in a free society that, that some of the freedoms are taken so verbatim, I, I think it's counterproductive, but that's what the big debate is. And uh, Let me ask you, Richard, do you think we're being regulated to death? Do you think politically correct has hurt comedy, too, this politically here's, correct here's, stuff? Here's, here's yeah, you can, you know, there's, a, there's you know, look, Back after World War II, you know, when 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 um, FDR, I think on his 19th term, he was president for 53 years. <laughs> 19th term. <laughs> but you know, he built he built the infrastructure. He put people to work. We got out of the depression and all of that stuff. And um, you know, and 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 then Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and. I mean, look, I, I don't want to get into this discussion, but you know, people that think that you know, you know, it's a, you know, it's a cliche at this point. You know, smaller government. Uh, I'm for smaller families. I'm not for smaller <laughs> government. I wish I was. I, I wish I didn't come out of my mother's womb. I just. Uh, I wish I just. If I just materialized, I would be. I'd probably be a dentist. <laughs> Because my mother tried to push me back into a womb. It was a horrible. I have it on tape. <laughs> be a, an, an extra on a thing I'm bringing in. But, but it was like, oh. But, you know, if you ask people who uh, Republicans, who, generally speaking, you know, uh, you know, moderates even, mm. saying, you know, it's too much government, too much government. Sure, there's too much government. I mean, how many times have we worked in companies and we see, like, half the people don't do crap during the day? And we'd probably be more, you know, make more money if we fired half the company. So that goes on with governmental agencies, too. You know, you can't blame Obama. You can't be everywhere. He's not, a, you know, he's not God. You can't, can't see one guy who has a drug problem in the Postal Service and screwing up. I mean, you know, you, you can't know all of this. But the thing that gets me about, you know, smaller government is that, if, you know, if we're taking away Medicare and Medicaid and, uh, and you know, and all this stuff, you know, a lot of people will be just just dying on the street and won't be able to go into a hospital. Right, and, I hear you. Or under the poverty line. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy is all I'm saying. And that's, 
and that's and and the debating is lacking civility. And if I dare say, you know, like you know, uh, you know, you know, the uh, I'm blanking on his name, but you know, when Obama was running for the second term, he says our only goal is to make sure he doesn't win. Now these are guys. Uh, this happened to be a Republican. I just can't think of his name. He's a, he's been around for a long time. An older guy, and I'm sure. Oh, you're talking about the guy from? Uh, oh my, that ran for president. McCain? Uh, who who has it? Didn't you run for president? In 1982, I did, and I, I, I got seven votes. The, president of the president of the Teamsters Teamsters Union. No, the Teamsters Association. <laughs> I was a Teamsters. No, no, no I know, that. but he was saying our only goal, and he's an American. He has a constituency, you know, Republicans. Fair enough. Our only goal is to make sure Obama doesn't win. That's not what this country's about. Country, this is a democracy. So we're supposed right. to work together, and I'm so sick of about working across the aisle. They don't work across the aisle. They just no. try to get control of the Senate and the Congress and the White House. And uh, that's not, you know. And we get the shaft the all the time. The people get the shaft. Let's let's face. Yeah, no matter who's in, look, we get the shaft. Yeah. If if the Democrats and it didn't work out that well anyway for the Democrats when they, we did have control of the Senate and the House and and Obama won the first term, uh, you know, there's going to be policies. That the Democrats are going to be are going to want that Republican, uh, the normal American, you know, regular Joe on the street, and the rich, you know, congressmen. Most of them are and are pretty wealthy. Then they're going to be unhappy about the policies that the Democrats want to push through Congress. And the, and the same thing now, like with, with the gun legislation, or you know, why there can't be a universal gun things are just. It's 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 it, it it is insanity to a progressive guy. It's like you know what do you know if that you know and it just doesn't make any sense to me. But you know, look, then they go right to you're taking away our Second Amendment rights, and then and then it goes on and on, and it's a it's a not it, it's sickening, isn't it, Jimmy? I mean, well, just, and, uh, you know, not, and that's we're not, true. We're, I, we're not. We're not I, no one's no one is getting help, and, no. and even if you say even if five children aren't killed. Because five mental patients can't get a gun because of a universal gun check, uh, they'll say, "Yeah, but that's uh, that's you know." It's, they're not saying tough luck, and they're not going to write a letter to the parents who lost their children. But they're going to look at the bigger picture and say, "Yeah, but 90% of the people are hunters, and they're not they're not mentally disturbed." So it goes on and on and on, on and on. Yeah, it's true. I, I think, Richard, what bothers me the most is seeing these young guys come back. With limbs missing and all that, uh, military. You know, talk about hey, the military. The, the and then I go, why? And I say, why? Why is this twenty-year-old got to go with no legs? What? What did we accomplish? And I got to admit that I, I've been so angry about that. Going, this guy scarred up. His life is ruined. You know what I say? Get the get the oil money over there and give each guy that lost limbs and all ten million dollars each. They wouldn't even feel it. Get the money and give each family ten million dollars. If you lost a soldier, give him ten million dollars. Where's that money going? Well, you know, you know why, well, that really upsets way. me. What These guys' lives have changed. What you know? about something simpler than, than that? And I mean, that's uh, it's a really nice thought, but I agree. Well, I mean, I know a lot of vets, and and I'm very supportive when I, you know, in my own way. Uh, but right. Now, yeah. And honest to goodness, but the truth is, why not say this? Every vet that comes back, forget about the post-traumatic sin. I mean, killing people. Yeah. I mean, under that, and most people. I mean, like a third of everyone who came back from the Civil War on was hooked on to heroin. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, most of these guys have drug problems and alcohol problems, can you, and you can, True. you can hardly True. blame them. So at the very least, they should have the same health insurance as our senators and congressmen. Amen to that, Richard. Period. I never heard. That's good. That's good. Period. I like that. Period. Don't forget $10 million. Everything that the senators and the, and the congressmen get, if their children are sick, uh, all right, we have the same policy as the senator, the Republicans, and the Democrat, and the independent guy has. So we're not worried. We're not worried. You know what? That's you know? a great. That's great. I never even put that together. Well, but know, why I'm don't they sure have it? You're right. Original thought, but I've heard people say, why can't they at least get what our? You know, I'm not. I don't. You know, and if it wasn't original thought, I'm. Like, I should get a Nobel Peace Prize. What do you think of that? <laughs> I'm putting you down right now. Hold on, Richard Lewis, Nobel Peace Prize. Well, I used to there. get the Nobel Peace of Ass Prize. When I was 
<laughs> but now you got an incredible wife. God I bless. Got a great wife. Beautiful I'm, wife. I'm, I'm, I'm monogamous. And, yeah. uh, and uh, well, hopefully Richard, don't use big words around me wife. like that. What'd you say? Uh, you my, my, my who? Monogamous. That's uh, oh, okay. You probably think that's a turtle, don't you? <laughs> you know, I you thought it was a religion. Words. You know, know what's so great about your comedy? What's that? You only have ten words in your vocabulary, and yet it <laughs> works. It narrows it down, though. It's easier for me to write for me. Well, I've been on close to 50 minutes. Nothing's been accomplished except I want you to know that I'm, I'm proud of, of how proactive you are. It's not like you're 25 years old and off the boat. You've already had a life in comedy. People that know you from New York in the 80s know how, how you tore the roof apart. You're hilarious, and you have some great new ideas and um, and uh, I've already, you know, uh, changed my name and number because you can't reach me after this call. <laughs> the funniest thing is when I ask you your number, you want three two three. I feel like Mother Teresa's Jewish nephew with you. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Let me ask you, Richie. I, I, I want to know because you're one of the original guys. I'm ninety now. No, who's okay? your who? Growing up, who was your guys? Like me, mine was Rickles. Growing up, remember I always tell you, Pat Cooper, oh, Rickles. Rick, I loved. I had a show with him. It didn't work, but I mean. Uh, I oh my him. God! I, I gotta let people know the another big gift. Oh, Not well, only did you share YouTube. Jonathan Winters, you gave me the outtakes for two hours of the sitcom you did called yeah, What was yeah, it, Daddy you Dearest? You, go on, you can go on YouTube. It's like ten parts, and then the whole thing's on YouTube. Oh, you gave me the actual DVD. Know, what was the I'm name of the show? You, Daddy Dearest, was Daddy it? Daddy Dearest, so, but you can go on YouTube and get outtakes from Daddy Dearest, and the whole everything I sent you is on YouTube now. Oh, my God. It's got to be two of the funniest yeah, hours. I, I, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Winters and a 2,000-year-old man, and then when I got, uh, and Woody Allen's joke writing was insanely amazing because his, his nebbishy looks, matched his nebishy jokes like Charlie Chaplin, you know, in the ch and like, you know, in the silent era, he was, it was almost like he was made to talk like, to, to write those kind of jokes. And Rodney, when I got a little older, and then when I really got into uh, hearing, you know, some of the legendary guys, uh, Pryor and Lenny Bruce and, uh, and, 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 and the guy who was on Curb, Shelley Berman and even Nichols and May had a couple of albums, but they were geniuses and about about relationships and so you know and uh, there's just there's well who rocked your world like Rickles rocked mine did somebody stand oh, yeah, out right. to you Lenny Bruce really Lenny Bruce well, look, well, you know two Jews from Brooklyn with over you know with overpowering mothers and and also what I liked about Bruce is that Bruce really respected the law. He loved the law, but he, and he was a drug addict, and I was too, ultimately, but, but you know, in recovery now. But, I mean, he, uh, he took both sides of the coin. If he thought the Democrats were shafting people, he would go for it, and the same with the Republicans. He would wow. take both sides. And he has, a, you know, he has a bad, you know, the reputation that, you know, dirty Lenny is a lot of crap. He, 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 had, street, he had street language. If you look, if you look at eighty percent of the comedians now, and I'm not like one of these old timers. I'm sixty five, but I, I love comedy, man, and I love brilliance. But if people are just using expletives to get a laugh, that's not Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce was an amazing writer and had had a ton of material. The fact that he died at forty in the last three years, he was only in his late thirties, and he was obsessed yeah. about that. He lost his his cabaret card. He couldn't play anymore. And he went broke. So, wow. uh, and, and Mort wow. Saul, politically, nobody has ever topped Mort Saul as a political satirist, and he was mm -hmm. doing this in the 60s. So, I mean, you know, these guys were, you know, look, any, anyone who starts first has to get the most credit, you know, because, you know. The originals, uh, yeah. yeah. The originals, they, they, they don't, they, they start the tree. What about around. comedy teams? Like, what what, what comedy teams do you, do you? Well, you know, Martin and Lewis, I loved the most. They made me laugh the hardest. And uh, you know, Abbott Costello, I I like his kids, but I, that that I, was my I, guys. Well, Abbott Costello were my guys. Great, yeah, yeah, well, the greatest comedy team, and you, you, one would have to say, uh, well, I mean, Martin and Lewis were, you know, were, were they were, you know, they were like the Beatles. When I read about them at that time, twenty, thirty thousand people outside their windows in hotels. You know, uh, you know, they were I rock stars. Long time, but but Laurel and Hardy are, are hard to top as comedy teams. Stan Laurel was such a genius, and 
you know, when Stan Laurel died very modestly in a little apartment in Santa Monica, you know, wow. and the same with uh, Buster Keaton, who lived uh, right about a block from the Beverly Hills Hotel in a villa, yep. and then he got, and he was an alcoholic himself, and, and, uh, and then he sort of settled down when he met this beautiful dancer, Eleanor Keaton, who uh, took care of him until he died, and, um, but... Cool. Uh, I, I took Eleanor Keaton, Buster's widow, to uh, the Polo Lounge. Wow! It was a block away from where her, her, you know, her, you know, her ex-husband or her husband lived when he was in his twenties. And I thought it would be. And I told the Polo Lounge, I said, "Let me tell you something. He's my idol in the silent era. I mean, Chaplin's amazing. I said, but Keaton's my guy. Yeah, but I'm Keaton, Keaton was a funny dude. But then he come into the talkies too, right? Yeah, but that's he didn't have the voice like Chaplin had, that, and, right. and he also took away his power. They took away his like Woody Allen. They don't even you only see like his, your sides that day in his movie. No one sees the script. No, one, that's the power that Keaton had in his twenties, and then at thirty they took away his. They took it away, and I'm sure alcoholism had a lot to do with it. His wife changed the name of their children from Keaton to her name. I mean, it was really wow. Hard. But then when he met this Eleanor. His whole life changed, and then toward the end of his life, in his 50s and 60s and early 70s, he was, he was doing commercials and candid camera, and, and he lived modestly in the valley here in California, and he had a great hey. end of his life, and, uh, and so that's the, that's the good news. Lenny didn't. He overdosed and, uh, and he, at 40, and, uh, but he already at least he put the tracks down. It's like, it's like a Jimi Hendrix, Doors, Janis Joplin deal, you know. They, at least the tracks are down, you know, on the right, record. Right, And the material is down, but... Um, uh, well, we're both in recovery. I mean, praise God. But who who do you... you have anybody you credit to kind of steering you towards recovery that helped you out in yeah, those early my days? Friends, my, my friends had it. Well, Larry David always told me I... Well, him and, like, Albert Brooks were always... They weren't part of my intervention, but they would always say, you're drinking too much, and if you don't think people know you're drunk, you're out of your mind, Albert Brooks would tell me, and... So those are good things to get. But then I had other friends in New York and David Brenner and who, would, who pushed down the, the bedroom door. They, the, the thing about recovery is that you have to have a plan. I had an intervention once with no plan. So uh, oh, wow. I yeah. came to my house. I got on my knees. I was crying. I swore to them. I knew I had a problem. And then as soon as they left, literally, because of all the shame, too, involved in it and lying, yeah. I went right down to the liquor store and got a couple of bottles of champagne and got loaded. After what was your choice of drink? Did you have a choice of drinking? Like- well, I'm a, I was a drinker. You know, I, I and people laugh. Stern used to do a joke. I had a great funny show on. He says, how can you be a drunk on champagne? I said, well, I like wine, but and too, but I love champagne. <laughs> I said, what about drinking five bottles of champagne during the Today Show? You know what I mean? Wow. Is that a problem? <laughs> you know, but then I, but then I, what brought me to my knees was crystal meth and cocaine. That was the end of it. You didn't do meth, did you? Yeah, that's what brought me. That's what. Are you I, serious? Yeah, yeah. I never knew that about you in your recovery. You did crystal meth. Yeah, I remember some some chicks used to bring me, introduce me to the dealers and tell me, you know, you're much better when you're drunk than 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 when you drink than when you do drugs. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for <laughs> oh that. my. In the mid-'80s, Richard, uh, I was at WLS when you would come in to see Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. And, I wasn't and there were times when we would say, he's not feeling well today. Oh, yeah. That's when I might have been. That was, uh, if, I was if I had a couple of drinks before I went up to the station. See, you know, Steve, you know, Gary Meyer and Steve Dahl, of course, they had their differences and broke up. But, uh, and, and, but, but, but to get in Chicago and solo and, and together... Uh, maybe two, maybe the best team ever, and uh, and also solo, they're, yep. they're sensational. But you know, I was I was you know I was an alcoholic then, so there'd be times uh, it was like hours before my show, and I'd stop at a restaurant, and have a couple glasses of wine or more, so I'd come up there, and uh, you know, and I'd be a little hammered. And uh, look, sometimes it was funny, and sometimes it was pathetic. You know that, but it's not so much about the show; it's about the rest of your your life outside the show business. Well, I, I never saw, I, I never witnessed where you weren't funny. You were always on. But everyone was worried what happens when the mics shut down. Yeah, well, that's what, yeah, I was going down. After, you know, when I didn't have work to do, 
and have to show up. I would just isolate and, and drink and do drugs. It was until I stopped. I stopped in my mid-40s. I shouldn't even be here. Everyone, But, I, you know, the thing I want to talk about the old comics was I used to listen to Dick Van Dyke and other comics who idolized Stan Laurel, and they would visit him almost every day, practically, when they could. And um, and when I got a chance to, to visit and be, befriend Jonathan Winters, it was like a dream come true. I mean, because he needed an audience. You see, these guys are lonely at the end of their lives. You know, his wife died, and he's sitting in this big house, and he's a painter. He was a painter, a great painter. But uh, you know, so everybody, so he would, we would go to restaurants, and he'd go to table to table. <laughs> I mean, and and play it like it was a nightclub. And you know what? It was great. You know, and we gave him that opportunity. So it's, uh, uh, you it's you were like I, people don't realize what you meant to this guy's life those years. A lot of guys. And how unselfish that was for you, Richard, to to be there because when I'd be on the phone with you two, I just shut out and 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 listen to two masters go at it. I mean, you, you would get him, he he lose it, then he would go a rift on you, you'd lose it, and I'm just, I mean, for you to do that, people don't realize. Let me tell you, and I said this before you got on 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 the on the air is that. You're a great guy, man. You're a giver. You've helped me not only in my career, for my career on things, but as a personal and a guy, a friend that's in recovery, you've just tremendously helped me some down times in my life. You know, I, when I had to pick up that phone, Richard Lewis was always on the other end of it. And you, you've gotten me through some very down times in my life. Uh, one I time, soon it'll happen the other way. You know, so well, you've always know. been there for me, and people don't realize how uh, how giving of yourself you are. I was are, making you know? a bad joke because I can't accept compliments very well. But uh, you've helped me. You've helped me. There was a, there was a two minute range uh, twenty years ago when I needed change for the meter, and of course I was buying you the lunch, too. and you gave me you gave me thirty five cents. And the thing that bugged me about it, you said you keep saying. Off the air, you'll say it. Come on, can't you send me at least a dime a week? All I want to know: What have you done for your people this week? Did you go to Israel? And, and did you, have you gone there yet? When well, you going to Israel? About the serious situation, I mean, uh, things haven't calmed down in twenty thousand years. So I'm, I don't know. I'd love you, you, the way you described your trip to Israel was so magnificent and beautiful. And, uh, it was you know, beautiful. I, I Let me tell you, these yeah, people. They're the most incredible people, the Israelis. Here's people that are surrounded by like 100 billion people that want to kill them they every day. Them. I know. Every That's day. Crazy. And let me tell you, they're the most gracious, beautiful, caring people. It changed my life going there. I say, folks, give Israel three days. Let's play. Remember one Mississippi when you used to play that game? You yeah. tie you, Okay, ready? We're going to hide our eyes. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Let's go to about 7 million Mississippis. In three days, Israel would take care of that problem and be gone. You let those people go, and it would be gone in three days, Israel. That's what I say, you know? Who are we to tell them what to do when you got people every day? Hey, it's like if, if Mexico and, and Canada had guns shoot, shooting over the border every day. Exactly, you know? exactly. And these people live with it. And, and you know something? People don't realize that is, Israelis aren't allowed to go into their countries. They're treated like, like dogs uh, are more respected than that. But Israel's very open to other people coming into their countries. That's how they're infiltrating you know, you know, a lot. They call the, you know the phrase, and I'm not a historian about this stuff, but right. you know, every now and then I go online and I, and I remind myself, you know, whether, you know, the biblical stories, you know, 40 years in the desert and, the, you know, and all that stuff. But the bottom line is, like, there was a six-day war in, in 66, I believe it was, where they won. They won. Right. And if you win, it's called spoils of war. We won. You wanted to kill us? You attacked us. We won. This is our land. Now get out of here. And you know what they want to do? They want to turn around and say, give it back like us. Well, why don't we give part of California back? Imagine them saying. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And then we go to them. We dictate to them. Give it back. Well, they want it. They They were attacked from every side. There is a phrase, and it's you know it's it's you know it's within the Jewish community. If you give them an inch, they'll want a mile, and that's exactly what it is. they really want us in the sea. Uh, they want Israelis in the sea, and it's you know there was you know when they had that uh, God, they had I think Clinton was involved in this, the Accords. We were giving them back like ninety-seven percent of stuff just Crazy. to have peace, so the children can have. No. The, it's the children. 
let them grow up without this fear. And and they and they reneged. I mean, just exactly. Never, no, no. You can't give them. Like, you can't give them enough. That's what makes me sick. You know. You can't give. Israel keeps giving and giving and giving, and they get nothing in return. And let me tell you, if you don't think people out there that the Jews are the chosen people, no one's been. I have a shirt I bought in Israel of all these different cultures over the years that are gone off the planet. Okay, no one's been more persecuted from beginning of time than the Jews. And guess why? They're still here and they flourish and they got a homeland called Israel. And that's why it is the United States of America, I say, because without us, there wouldn't be an Israel. We're here because God wants us here <clears throat> so they can be in Israel. And, and these people, like I said, <clears throat> nobody's been more persecuted and they flourish and they're great people. When you go to Israel, I recommend everybody to trip of a lifetime. They, they, they're so gracious to us. Well, look, you know, I, it's very, I, look, I'm a Jew, and the thing is, you know, one of the, I'm, not I'm a Jew, too, and some, and, and I, I feel like a Jew I'm myself. I'm deeply religious, and, and the truth is, because everyone has, you know, Jesus, the Lord, and... The, well, you screwed up on that God. one, but that's another story for another day. No, there's no one really has proof. <laughs> it's like the UFO thing. I, let one guy come down with 30 hands and shake, and then I, you know... I don't want to hear friends drunk at a restaurant. Look, I got to tell you something I never told anybody before, but I was on a ship. Oh, God, that's the end of this friendship. But, I mean, the truth is, the truth is everyone has their own God, so fine. So it's the people that say, I don't, I don't mind you believing that, that Jesus is, is died for your sins. But, you know, I don't mind that because you believe that, okay? Right. Right. And, uh, and you know, we don't have, uh, you know, it's, it's like at rock concerts, no one's taking pictures with an iPhone. But, I mean, you know, but, I mean, you know, but that's what you believe and fine. I, and, I, and I respect that. And I, but, you know, but what happens is that if no one, but some people on the far right or on the far left, uh, uh, you know, on the far right, of, you know, in Judaism, don't even re don't respect the other person's God. And that's where the right. problems. It's, it, when it's yeah. my way or the highway, we're dead. And that's the way it's been for thousands of years. And I don't see. I don't see. I don't see how we get out of it. I, 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 well, let me ask you a question. As a comedian, right? Don't you think politically correct stuff is killing comedy in many ways? Where we used to be able to laugh at about. I, I think being ethnic, Irish, German, Jewish. It's funny. We do things differently. It's funny when you take that away from us. Like Rickles today, you know, would be controversy. Do, do you find that stupid? Like when Johnny Carson did a roast once and, and Red Fox was on there and Johnny, you know, they were roasting Johnny Carson. And when it's starting to get up, he looked at Red Fox and he said, and who knows more about roasting people than your people? Wow. And that was hysterical, though. I mean, Red Fox laughed. Everybody laughed. But today that would be considered, oh, you can't say that. Oh, that's, you know. You'd be in, you'd be in trouble. Well, didn't somebody? I think some comedian I read. It's hearsay. So uh, Paul Mooney, I think his name is. I think Paul he Mooney. Might, yeah, he's uh, he might have said uh, that the white people who died in Boston deserved it. I mean, someone emailed me that. Now it could be totally untrue. Now that's now. Wait a minute. Anything, There's nothing anything. funny about that. See, no, I don't but, think that's funny. And the only reason I bring it up is because I got a lot of emails from a lot of people that are in the know. But you know, he's a real he's a real political activist and a real you know a real uh, uh, African American activist. I've actually driven him home from the comedy store a few times if I'd known that. <laughs> no, no, but I don't even know. If it's, but I got so many emails, I was shocked. And right. I said, well, I, I wasn't there, and until I'm there. No, it's like hearing the thing what that poor cat did from Seinfeld. I mean, I mean, there were people were talking about, it, but I wasn't there. But I, you know, after a while, you sort of believe it if you're hearing it from people, you know, and it's on. Well, the I just think though, isn't it funny ethnic stuff that we shouldn't we be able to make fun of each other? That's funny. Well, I, you I, know, well, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's it's still it's still unfair. It's still unfair. I always felt, you know, uh, you know, look, you know. When you're looking at these these icons like Carson and and these guys, it's like buddies and you know drinking at someone's uh, hotel room, having just joking around. And well, look at look at the the Rat Pack when when Sammy Davis Jr. jumped in D. Martin's arm and he goes, "I want to accept this award from the N. A. You know, the oh, yeah, N. A. C. P." But that's because the people. Yeah, it is different now. 
it is different now. But you know, and I do think, and you can't say, you know, you know, a lot of times uh, African American comedians can do jokes about white people. And we exactly and it's one way. First, if it was reversed, we'd be uh, we'd be you know we'd be thrown out of the business. See, that's so what I did when I went out in the '90s to the comedy store and places. I used to give it back to them. They actually respected me more. But you see, but, that's the thing. The deal is, it, it's all about. It's all about. I, I believe in civility, but I'm also a comic. And 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 if you're a comic and you and you're just really pablum, you know, you know, what's funny? But it, it's about intelligence. You can tell. You can tell. If somebody is 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 respectful of a religion or a race, but just doing a joke, right? There's no meaneness. There's no malicious. You're not malicious. If that rumor is true, that comic said about you know white people deserve to go in the marathon. That there's nothing funny about something. No, zero, zero. Anybody, if if my emails are correct, then that's just that's that's racist. Is all it is. Exactly. He did say it. He did say it. Uh, Twenty people walked out of the club. He went on to Opie and Anthony. Later, he was rambling incoherently. I think he's Who having. Who are you talking some, about? Uh, well, Paul Mooney. He he did say that. He did get in trouble for it. Uh, Twenty people walked out of the club over that. Now I think he's experiencing some difficult moments right now in his life. He's a weird dude, anyway. To be honest with you, I talk up front. There's a lot of rumors about him with things that he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> I, I think know, uh, so. Did you, Michael? Did, is that true? Did he, did he say that in a Boston club after the? Marathon? Yeah, there's. It's it's on YouTube, and and then uh, he went dude. on. Opie and Anthony had him on to say, "Okay, dude, what's going on? What's happening?" And he was so incoherent. Uh, it was that, so rambling. It's you know, it's a misstep. Yeah, it's a misstep. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't listen to other comments. I don't like to hear other premises. But listen, I don't want. This is not. I'm not picking on Mooney or anybody else. It's just that. There's a lot of hypocrisy, and different races can get away with different things, different colors and creeds. And, uh, colors well, you know what? To soften this, I just want to know one thing. You work with Jamie Lee Curtis, who I had a thing for for years, she, a real thing. Great, great. Is, what kind of lady? Please don't break my heart. What kind of lady is she? She is nice, or she is beautiful. Great. She's uh, she's uh, been on. She's public about it. She's been sober over, I think, over ten years. And wow, she helped. She does so much service in in, in L. A. It's unbelievable. She's a go-to girl, a uh, woman, and she's uh, she's real natural and cool. Didn't and you two really become like build up a friendship from that show? Well, you know, we're not really. I don't see her that often, but you know, it's the kind of thing. I was at a party. Uh, about two weeks ago, when she was there with with Christopher Guest, who's a, a genius this guy, and and we would we talked for about an hour. It was like we just left the set, you know. You know, she's still beautiful, ago. Richard. She's still. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, not as beautiful as me. I kiss myself in the mirror sometimes when my wife's not here. <laughs> I know that's a problem. I've spoken to my therapist. <laughs> and then uh, we make love. I've, I have a lot of problems. I have a lot of defects. What's that? I have a lot of a lot of character flaws. You know what my biggest character flaw is? Doing Talking to me. Doing Talking to me. This has been the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> but see, this is the kind of friend you are. You could be doing anything with anybody at any time now, and you know something. I caught you. I actually caught you at a moment. That, why did you say yeah? Because I think you were getting your appendix out this afternoon, right? Was it something like that? He hung up. <laughs> <laughs> he did the Richard Lewis. That, that, he did the Richard Lewis. He did the Richard Lewis. He's been doing this for 20 years to me. <laughs> he, he just... <laughs> That's what he, folks, you have no idea. This is how he ends every conversation with me. You're right in the middle of it, and boom, he just hangs up on you. <laughs> but you know something? That's a respect thing. That means he loves you. When Richard Lewis hangs up on you, it means he loves you. Well, I now have my poll quote for the rest of my life. The comic timing of Hitler, says Richard Lewis. To, to Michael Sean, right. That's what he said to you. The comic timing of Hitler, and I will throw that up to you for the rest of our journey together on this podcast show, together. Jim Labriola and his sidekick, 
Michael Sean Wright Hitler. <laughs> the timing of Hitler. Do you realize he said that to you? Oh, my gosh, what a moment. Now, a couple of things I, I didn't have a chance to, to go over with him, but listen to the title of his audiobook, which I listened to for nine hours and 28 minutes. Wow. The Other Great Depression, How I'm Overcoming on a Daily Basis, At Least a Million Addictions and Dysfunctions, and Finding a Spiritual Sometimes Life. That's the title of the book. Wow. I read his book. It's very interesting. I mean, he really lets it out in his book, man. He don't he doesn't hold nothing back with all his defects and I mean, it's almost like a fourth step in the program as we say. He wrote in that book. Well, you know? I, I mean, there are some universal gifts that he's been given for his comedic life. His therapist fell asleep during one of his sessions. If that's not comedy <laughs> gold, Well, I think he fell asleep with us uh, a couple of bits we were trying to do, right? Wouldn't you agree, though, uh, now there's controversy, and he's brought it up on Curb Your Enthusiasm and everything, that he is the originator of the blank from hell, whether yes. it's the girlfriend from hell, the comedy, the podcast from hell. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, that's why I love him, because he, he was really the first of his kind. As, as far as, you know, uh, coming out with the guy neurotic and all that, it's really, it's who he is, you know? That's the beauty of it. It's, he's not really acting on stage, you know? No. <laughs> and, and that's why I love him, because he's just being Richard Lewis up there. And I remember when he used to go up with notes. He would go up there with notes and be up there for two hours on stage, you know? He, and he would just write something down and do it that night for the first time. And kill with it. Well, about seven, eight years ago, an agent said, hey, listen, you know, it doesn't look good with the notes. And he took that to heart. And he's not kidding. He has, in his computer, he has like 60 hours of yeah. television material he could do right now, today. Boom. Well, he was, how long was he on with us? He was on for uh, uh, just a little over an hour. Wow. I know. Wow. Or one-ninth of uh, the total running time of his audiobook. Wow. Unbelievable. I'm telling you, man, I am blessed. The friends I have in this business like him and, and Ray Romano and Tim Allen, I'm a blessed guy, you know? And then I got Hitler now as my sidekick. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't tell me I got the, the, the comedic timing of Mussolini. The Haha ha Jim Comedy Hour. Find all the shows, links, and more at hahajim.com. And follow the show and Jim on Twitter at Haha ha Jim. He's a sweetheart. <laughs>